It's not enough to simply be the best product anymore. You have to show people why it matters to them. That's why positioning and messaging is everything. It's how you connect to what customers really care about, make your product's value clear, and stand out from the rest. Easy, right? No, it's not. But you can learn from folks who have faced and conquered these challenges before. So join me, Emma Stratton, as I talk to top product marketing leaders about the wild and wonderful world of messaging, the thrills, the spills, the hard-won truths, and the total myths, the adventures in messaging. Today, I'm joined by Jason Gadoff, VP of Product Marketing at Pendo. Hey, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you and your beautiful, bright, vibrant background with us today. <laughs> so, um, you know, you listen to the show. I talk with tons of product marketers about secrets, techniques, you know, how do you get great messaging? And uh, you actually have uh, a pretty really good insight there about something that sometimes we possibly overlook in our quest for great messaging. So would you mind just kind of sharing about that? Yeah, first of all, thanks for even hosting the show. I listen to it a lot and I've, I've learned a lot myself. But one of the things that I observed from listening to the podcast is that people frequently talk about the research they do in creating great messaging. They, they talk about the frameworks they use. But one thing that I haven't heard message I haven't heard mentioned is like how how much of a team effort it is and how important it is to get your internal stakeholders on board. Right. So depending on the size of the company you're working at, you need to get that CEO involved. You need to get that head of sales or that very vocal salesperson or an influential product manager. It, you know, just as much as it is important to hear from the market, you really need to bring those internal stakeholders along. And not only do you get their input, like as you're evolving your messaging, you need to bring them along on that journey. No one wants just to get some messaging like thrown on their desk or their virtual desk and say, here, it's done. Do you like it or not? They want to be part of the process. So I think that's one part that's frequently overlooked. Totally. That is such a good point. No one wants to be told, yeah, like, boom, here's the words, use them. Because if you don't feel any ownership over them, you're not going to use them. Like you're just going to keep using what you've been using perhaps because maybe you like it better or you just don't have that attachment to it, you know? So. Absolutely. And, and in that spirit of like, it's being a team sport, not only do you have to bring those people along. Um, one thing that I think people sometimes don't rely upon is like, other their colleagues across the organization and more specifically i found it tremendously helpful to partner with your content marketing or brand marketing teammates if you have them right i know not all companies have them but i can tell you you know right now i'm vp of product marketing at a company called pendo and we have an amazing content and brand marketing team and anytime we're coming up with messaging they're absolutely part of that process because whatever messaging we come up with we might know the product better but these people are, are amazing at communicating and are perfectly frank, better at their words than we are. <laughs> Work with your partners across the organization as you're developing this messaging. Yeah, I love that. That is such a great point. I mean, I come from a kind of creative side of things, right? Copywriters and um, creative directors, content strategists. And yeah, they can really kind of bring that strategy to life and kind of elevate it in, in a very simple way with language. So it's a really great idea to do that. Um, so you know, bringing your stakeholders along is important. You know, sometimes it's overlooked. Another thing, you know, we talk about a lot on this show 
is category creation. We talked about it last week. I think the week before, uh, I think it's just sort of always there. Everyone sort of asks to do it, think about it, look at what other people are doing. So I know I've got some strong feelings about category creation and you do too. So let's hear it, Jason. Let's hear it. Well, yeah, I, I have a very strong opinion that like more often than not, you do not need to create a category, right? By definition, you can't have a category of one, right? That's not a category. They tell you, they tell you that's, they tell you that's what they want you to do though. <laughs> and, and that's a very natural motion. And I don't know why this started happening. It's been more prevalent over you know, the last five or so years, but everyone wants to create a category. And when you have the discussion, I completely agree and, and appreciate why you want to differentiate yourself from other companies. But the only way to do that isn't necessarily creating a category. I actually am of the belief that when there is an emerging category, that's a great time to join on in. And then you differentiate with how you're different, your unique approach, how you're target, targeting a unique persona. But like, I think there's a benefit of other people saying a similar thing. And then the burden's on you to show why you're different and why you're better. Absolutely. It's like, it's like a, going in the wake of like a speedboat. It's like, you don't need to row all on your own trying to explain, first of all, what is this category? Like, what the heck does it mean? Why is it different from that other category that has like one different word in it? And then here's what our product can do for you, etc. It's like, why not kind of go with some of the momentum that's already out there and then kind of give it a twist and, and get an advantage there. Yeah, absolutely. And just building off of it. I mean, it's hard enough to explain what your company does. Why add in the complication of adding in, you have to explain what a category is and then what your then what your company does, right? Just lie into something else that's already existing. I love that. Yep. So you don't have to be create a category to be successful. You heard it here, folks. That is the truth. Run with that. Um, I think that's really going to help sort of make things a, li a little bit more clear out there in the landscape. Um, so, all right, now that we're kind of busting uh, all the holy kind of pieces of product marketing like categories, let's talk about words we hate. Words we wanna banish from product marketing. I know you really specialize in messaging. It's like, you're very good at it. You've been doing it for many years. So let's hear it. What words should we stop using? Well, I will have to say a lot of your other guests have taken some of those words. I know. <laughs> now, um, but I will say, building off of the conversation we were just having about building your own category, I would say leading is a word that I think we should all just remove from our vocabulary. You know, we're not in a position to call ourselves leading. Others deem whether we're leading or not. And it's actually comical to me when someone is trying to create their own category and like, we're the leading XYZ. <laughs> You're the only XYZ, so of course you're the leading XYZ. But I mean, we do have to be very thoughtful with the words we use. And I think people are just, they use leading too frequently when it's absolutely unnecessary. You know, if someone else calls you a leader, if that's in G2 or Captora or some sort of quadrant or wave, like then that makes sense. We're the leader in X, but just calling yourself leading, wasted words. Absolutely. It's not helping anyone. And everyone else is saying it too, even if it's not true. So very hard for buyers to even trust or kind of think about that word at all. Um, so kind of to, let's talk about another thing that you had mentioned around identifying your target customer, your target buyer, um, about how like sometimes this gets missed um, or you're surprised like in your experience. Let's just talk a bit about that. 
I think this might be more prevalent with earlier stage companies mm -hmm. or earlier stage products, but frequently companies aren't as precise as they could be when thinking about who is the target persona. Um, because people want to be optimistic and they want to say, like, hey, everyone could benefit from this product. And even if that is true, it's worthwhile going through the exercise to prioritize who could be the right persona. And I'm not just talking about title. Like this could be by industry, company size, region, title. There could be some other characteristic as well. But I think it's really important to be intentional because then you can develop messaging that resonates with that specific audience, right? And then from there, what you can do is, like, I understand that's somewhat limiting, but you start to get momentum with your ideal customer, and then you can add on other folks. But just saying, hey, this product works for everybody, I think doesn't yield the best um, focus and end result. Yeah, I know. Totally. That's a great point. Do you have any tips for, you know, maybe if there's someone watching who's a startup founder or working at an early stage company sort of faced with this? Because you kind of mentioned it there. It probably seems scary and limiting to just sort of focus on one kind of audience and not go after the entire world. Any kind of tips on how to identify or prioritize who you're going to focus your message for in the beginning? Yeah. What I found both working in-house and as well as a consultant is, is just having the discussion is very helpful. When you sit down with that product leader or that CEO or the head of sales and just say like, hey, let's have a prioritized list. And what are those characteristics? What's the why? Why does this make this sort of company a better fit or this type of role a better fit? Just having that conversation um, frequently works. What happens is sometimes people gloss over even having the conversation. Right. So I think it's on our shoulders as product marketers to just have that discussion because it's rare that I haven't been able to get to a prioritized list. Sometimes, you know, the the knee jerk reaction is, oh, it works for everyone. And then you can have the dialogue. OK, sure, it works for everyone. But if we had to prioritize, how would we prioritize? What are the characteristics? And usually it ends up with a strong end result. Yeah, I know in kind of clients I've worked with. When we get to that discussion, I force them to kind of have that talk about, well, who is sort of like your raving fan customer? I mean, who, who really loves you? And when they start realizing that there are certain characteristics, be it mindset, size of company, stage of company, whatever, they're like, oh yeah, they're the ones who pay us more. They're the quickest deals to close. You know, all the other ones are like, oh, they don't pay us as much, the longer sales cycle, like, right? And they start to, it starts to click. Absolutely. And just thinking back, there's actually times where sometimes you can do it through process of elimination. Okay. Who is not a fit? You know, for example, certain regions are not a fit or um, certain regulated industries are not a fit or some companies of a certain scale are not a fit. So if you're not getting traction with finding out who is a fit, maybe you can get close, you know, get closer to that by finding out who's not a fit. That's a really, really good tip. I love that. Thank you. It's been awesome having you on the show today, speaking to another uh, kindred spirit with uh, messaging love. So thank you for being on the show today, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> hey, you made it all the way through. Thank you for listening. And as a reward, here's a little extra bonus content. Okay, Jason, um, you know, we got a lot of product marketers watching the show. You have a ton of experience under your belt. What wisdom would you like to share with all of our uh, listeners? Well, wisdom's a high bar, but come one, on, you've got wisdom. One thing that I think is really useful is that exposure to different kinds of companies is actually really useful. You don't have to be too precise early on in your career to say, like, I'm going to work at startups or I'm going to work at a big company. I think exposure of varying levels, like whether you like B2B versus B2C, whether you like the startup, whether you like the large company, whether you like the mid-sized company with momentum, I think having those different experiences 
first of all, they, they build on each other. They, they give you more skills that you can apply to each of them, but then they help you figure out where is your, where, where's your fit, where, where you can contribute the most. Like for me, I love mid-sized companies with momentum. I've worked at large companies, I've worked at small startups, and, and I learned from both of them. But what I, where I really get energy from and where I feel I can contribute the most is at these mid-sized companies with momentum. And I would only figure that out by practice, by trial and error. That's right. That's right. So have like a little sample at all, right? Don't just assume and limit yourself too soon to a certain type of company, um, like a startup or a large company. So that's really good advice. Thank you for sharing. Cheers for listening. For more messaging fun, sign up for my newsletter at punchy.co forward slash newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter.